Well, about six months ago, um, I was uh, I was I woke up one morning, and I decided I was doing a little a few odd jobs around the house before I went to work, and uh, the house we were living in was in a new subdivision, and so the uh, in the in the subdivision they have those signs that kind of have tell you what the lot number are. And they're like this like tin metal type of sign, sort of like, you know, like a no parking sign or something like that. And so I'm out and I'm doing a little bit of yard work before I go to work and I, and I look and I'm thinking, wow, we're one of the only houses left that still have the lot number sign still in there. I'm like, I really should pull this thing out. But it was down pretty deep. And so I went over to grab it and pull it out. And I, was, I couldn't get any leverage on it because my hands were like, it just kind of cuts into you, right? And so I couldn't get anything. And in, my, in that moment, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I, man, I really wish I had a, a good pair of work gloves. And, and at that, I looked at my watch, and I'm like, I got to go to work. So I got in my car, and I thought, I'll, I'll pull it out later tonight. So I'm at work, and, and uh, late in the morning, maybe afternoon, uh, Lionel Smith comes in, and, uh, which, which he often does uh, during the week. And he sits and chats, and we have some good chats. And he chats for a little bit, and I walk out with him to, the, to his vehicle. And as he's about to get in his vehicle, he turns to me and he says, Pastor Roy, he goes, this is going to sound a little bit odd, a little bit random. But home hardware, every once in a while, has a great, great sale on these really good work gloves. And I buy up a bunch, and if there's, you know, I know this sounds kind of random and kind of strange, but could you use a good pair of work gloves? And like, I haven't, I haven't spoken this thought about I need a good pair of work gloves to anybody. I'm feeling like I'm in one of those like candid camera shows where I'm like, am I the only one in, not in on this joke? Except how would they know that I needed a good work, pair of work gloves? And all of a sudden, Lionel shows up that day and says, this is going to sound strange, but could you use a good pair of work gloves? I'm like, yes, yes I could. And so... Here's, that. Here's one of those, uh, those work gloves, one of those work gloves. And they are, they are a, good pair of, a good pair of work gloves. But this glove is made for, it's made for working. It's, a, it's called a work glove. But on its own, this glove is kind of useless, right? Like, if I wanted to pull that sign out, I wanted the glove to do it on its own. Now, that would be a good pair of work gloves if it could pull that sign out by itself. But it doesn't. Now, I could try some things. I could try to motivate this glove, right? Like if I was a good motivational speaker, I could try to motivate it. I could get people, maybe, maybe if I put this here, it would start working. If I get this section here, start to clap. Fall. This section. This section. All right, some of you are thinking, what did, what, what did, what did I sign up for today? Your clapping had no effect on this work glove. Now, the motivation didn't work, but maybe, maybe it just needs discipleship. Maybe if I just tell it what to do, maybe if I explain how, what it looks like to work, maybe then it will, and we all know that that's actually not going to, to work. Maybe what it needs, maybe it just needs, maybe it needs some fellowship. Maybe it just needs <laughs> hang out with some, some other gloves. And maybe those gloves will have a positive influence on it, and it will start to, 
to work, which is ridiculous. But the glove in itself has purpose. It has purpose. But on its own, it's, it's rather ineffective. It's kind of ineffective. But with, with some real power, if I was to take it and fill every part of it with, with some actual power, which feels a little less powerful today after moving, but it now becomes a lot more effective. Once it's been filled, it's, it's more effective. Now, this is kind of a simple illustration of the Christian life. We were designed to reach people. We were designed to be impactful to people. We were designed to love people. We are encouraged to do ministry or love people. We have all the tools to reach people. But without a supernatural filling, we'll never be as effective as we were meant to be. We kind of become a glove. And the, the Holy Spirit is the one that fills us and makes us effective in reaching people. Now this morning we continue this series that we began last week called Spirit Move. And in this series we are trying to simplify a topic that's really not that simple. Who the Holy Spirit is and the role that he plays in our lives. Now if you weren't with us last week, we introduced this in the series some of the misconceptions of the Holy Spirit and who he actually is. And again, if you missed last week, I think it's worth a listen. Um, find, it on, find it on Spotify or go to our website and, and maybe listen to it to kind of catch up with what we're doing. But this morning, I'd like to dive into five reasons I think you should love the Holy Spirit. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about uh, the Holy Spirit was, was one of the three members of the Trinity. And Trinity meaning basically three in one. There's God the Father, God the Son, which is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, for the most part, I think we've got a grasp on God the Father, because many of us have or had a relationship with our Father, or we've seen a relationship, a fatherly relationship. And sometimes we think of God as this old guy with a big, long beard kind of looking down from heaven. You know, we have that, that picture in our mind. And I think we're good with Jesus. I mean, our, our image might be a little bit skewed. If you go by based on the pictures you'd find in most people's homes, it's a white guy with long flowing hair, nicely manicured beard, blue eyes, often holding a sheep. Seems pretty historically inaccurate, actually. But we get the idea of who Jesus is, even if our pictures are a little bit off. But this idea of the Holy Spirit, or some translations call it the Holy Ghost, that's a little bit more of a mystery. Perhaps what would help us is if we refer to them by their functions rather than their names. So, so God the Father, we know as the creator, the one who created all space and time and created us. God the Son, Jesus, was, was our Savior. He stepped into the world. We, we celebrated that this morning. Stepped into the world to save it. But then Jesus tells the disciples, I'm leaving the world, but I'm not leaving you alone. I am sending a helper. In John 16, 37, now I'm going to be jumping around all over in the Bible, so if you want to try and keep up, you can, uh, if you brought your Bible with you. Otherwise, it's going to be up here on the screen in very big letters. And so it says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he's saying, it's good for me to go because I will send an advocate or a helper, which is which the Holy Spirit is sometimes called. 
I'm going to send someone that is going to be within you. And he's going to empower you. And he's going to make you, he's going to help you make a difference in this world. Now, the reason this matters is because when Jesus walked the earth, he was God with us. I mean, we sing about this all the time in Christmas songs. The word Emmanuel actually means God with us. So he was God with us. But now the Holy Spirit is God in us. God wants to dwell within you and be light on this planet. Now this word advocate is an interesting word. Because the Greek word for advocate is paraclete. And the word paraclete is actually not a spiritual word, it's a military word. And so when Jesus was communicating this truth, he wanted his audience to have a better understanding of the depth of the relationship the Holy Spirit would have with you. So paraclete, this military word, would mean this. So actually, I need, a, I need a volunteer, maybe one of the kids. You get to hold a sword. I need, I need a volunteer, one of the kids. All right, Bridget, come here. All right. Let me pull this back. Now, so paraclete basically meant this. When you would go into battle, you would go into battle back to back. Now, I only have one sword, so I'm going to give it to you because I feel like I could protect you. I actually could block you right out like a solar eclipse. But <laughs> you're going to go back to back with me, okay? Back to back. There we go. Now, get into your fighting pose. I'll get into mine. Ready? All right, that's, that's pretty good. Somebody, now, here's the thing. If somebody comes at me, like your big brother, comes at me, you got to take him down. All right, can you do that? <laughs> I figured that would be kind of easy. All right. Now, on the other side, if somebody from this section over here is going to come at you, I'm going to take them down. Now, paraclete, you would go into war because you would become a lot more effective if you were back-to-back -back because in these wars, these were not like two armies coming together. It was all-out chaos. And the only way that I can know what's, if, what's coming from behind me is if I had somebody I was partnered with, somebody that could come behind me and watch, literally watch my back, and I could do the same for them. So together, we become this sort of fighting machine. Does that sound good? Yeah? All right. All right. Let's give Bridget a hand. Now, it's this, it's this, it's this visual that Jesus gives us. That when the Holy Spirit comes, he says, I'm, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. I'm sending, somebody, I'm sending somebody into this world that's going to have your back. I'm sending somebody that will fight for you and fight with you. I'm sending someone that will see danger coming before you can see it and warn you. And this is the picture that Jesus paints of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that there are some in this room some of you might have this hesitation, a little bit of a hesitation, when it comes to your belief in the Holy Spirit. You know, again, we're good with God the Father. We're good with Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, this one's a challenge. Let me challenge you back. Today and for the rest of the series, I want you to set aside your concerns, your preconceived ideas of who he is, and just allow God to speak to you about who the Holy Spirit is. Now, the hesitation that we have sometimes with the Holy Spirit is any time that we believe in the Holy Spirit or any time the Holy Spirit is involved, weird things start to happen. And if you feel confused, skeptical about experiences of the Holy Spirit, I need you to know that you're not alone. 
In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit. People are filled with the Spirit. And there are some bystanders that are watching with curiosity and hesitation. It says in Acts 2.12, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Now, when this says amazed and perplexed, this is not, wow, that's so awesome. This is more of a, what on earth is going on here? If you are here last week, I told you the story the first time I heard people speaking in tongues at a camp meeting. I was amazed and perplexed, all right. Like, what on earth is going on here right now? But, verse 13 says this. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Like, they were like, what is going on? They, they, they definitely must be drunk. This is the only explanation of what's going on. And then Peter, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who we, we talked about a little bit last week, Peter, who was kind of, uh, uh, kind of cowarded out in the moment when Jesus needed him most, has this newfound confidence. He's empowered with the filling of the Holy Spirit, and he stands up to address the onlookers. In verse 14, he says this, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, a thousand years before this takes place, there's this prophet named Joel. And and, and he... He prophesied that God would pour his Holy Spirit on his people. That old men would dream dreams, young men would prophesy. And that there would be this filling of the Holy Spirit. And so for a thousand years, the Jews had waited for this moment, this fulfillment of the prophecy. And then Peter gets up and says, you think these people are drunk. You think they're acting weird. They're not acting weird. They're just filled with the Holy Spirit. What Joel talked about a thousand years ago, this is that. Why does that matter? Because we reject what we don't understand. See, we tend to be kind of rational people. I want to explain everything based on what I know or what I've experienced. So we see something that seems a little bit out there, our natural tendencies to reject it rather than lean into God and ask him to reveal what's best for you. See, the problem with that is, is when we reject what we don't understand, we push away the Holy Spirit along with everything else we don't understand. Now, for some of you, you've rejected what you don't understand. But for others of you, you've rejected the Holy Spirit because you don't feel like you know enough. You don't understand him. Maybe you grew up outside church. And maybe, maybe growing up outside church, yeah, I heard about Jesus, and I kind of knew David and Goliath and Jonah, Noah, Holy Spirit, I kind of feel uneducated when it comes to that. that. That was basically my story. And if that's your story, you're not alone either. Because in Acts chapter 19, Paul is going to a city named Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, to give the church some instruction. And I want you to see this interaction he has. While Paulus was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Again, maybe that's your story. Maybe it's just 
you don't know or you feel like you don't know enough. So the rest of the time together, I want to present to you five reasons you should love the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have apprehensions about the Holy Spirit, I would ask you to come with a clear mind and pray, God, pray to God, ask him, God, what do you want for me in this? Now, as we go through these five things, here's my hope. Here's, here's what I hope at the very end. You see the five things and you say, who wouldn't want that? Number one. He comforts you. There is nothing better than being comforted. Maybe you've got a comfortable sweater or a blanket. Actually, I brought my comfortable sweater, but I'm like too hot. I'm not putting it on. I was going to wear it, and I'm like, I'm not putting it on. I'm too hot. But you've got that comfortable sweater. You've got that comfortable blanket. And you wrap it, when you wrap that around you, the whole world just seems right in that moment. Like you're at work or school, and you're already thinking about that blanket, right? I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get home and wrap that around me. Maybe as a child, you had a teddy bear. Maybe you still have a teddy bear. Or something that, you, when you held it, you just felt comfortable. Now, like I, was, I mentioned before, we moved yesterday. And uh, as we were moving into our house, um, we decided that we were going to buy a new couch set. And I was thinking back, when was the last time we actually bought a couch set? Because every couch set I have had is basically handed down to me. And I'm thinking, I think we bought a house set, or a couch set when we got married, like 20, almost 21 years ago. And so we decided, okay, we're going to buy a new couch set for our new house. But I was adamant, if we're going to buy a couch, I don't want one of those couches that look nice but are so uncomfortable to sit on. I want something comfortable, as comfortable as I can. So we found this couch where all the cushions are downfilled. And it's a sectional that kind of wraps around the room. It has this large ottoman that's just another big cushion. And when you push it, uh, when you push the kind of the ottoman against the rest of the couch, it almost becomes like this big giant bed. And I started thinking, I am never going to see the end of a TV show or movie ever again. (laughs) And you know who else finds it comfortable? She's going to kill me for this. My wife. Thanks. I did approve it by her. She was a little hesitant. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is comfort, is to bring comfort. In the storms of your life, in the darkest moments, you find comfort and peace in the midst of all of it. John 14, 26 says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. So see, Jesus says, you don't have to do this life alone. I'm sending you the comforter. And as a result, no matter what you're going through, you have the comfort of God's Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this. But very truly, oh, that's not it. Did I? Oh, I'm way, I'm way behind. Somehow we got back to the start. Hold on. Yeah, that's right. Just quickly find your spots. Here we go. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, I, 
I probably don't know any story that illustrates this truth better than the one Randy told me a couple weeks ago. And so I talked to Randy uh, earlier this week and asked him if he would share this story that has kind of emerged over the last couple weeks, and he had agreed to. So, Randy, I'm going to ask you to come up and tell it. I'm going to give you three minutes. <laughs> three minutes, Randy. You're on the clock. No, I'm kidding. Before I do, I had the pleasure also of helping Pastor move yesterday, and uh, I've always wondered why, oh, man, he does such a good job with, with getting the message out there. He's got to help, have some help from above through the Holy Spirit. And uh, as Pentecostals, uh, there, there's a... a a terminology called being slain in the spirit. And uh, I've seen some pr programs where you, you see, see them just whack people and there's always somebody behind them trying to catch them as they fall down. Well, let me tell you, pastor got slain in the spirit yesterday. He went down. Now, the slippery, uh, <laughs> slippery ramp might have had something to do with it, but <laughs> praise God you're okay, pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh God. Okay, um, Dennis, uh, Deborah, and uh, Harold, can you please just stand up and just say, uh, just say hello? Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. <laughs> Many of you know the journey that uh, I've had with uh, losing my beautiful bride September 23rd over a year ago, my son Zachary a year ago this past I'm going to say January 8th because that is the day that he passed away. On his tombstone is January the 9th. And there's a story behind that all. <clears throat> uh, and the support that I've had here from this church through their prayers and um, to, get, to get to the point where um, the, the strength of prayers is amazing. Um, each day... Uh, through my journey, I've asked uh, God's presence and his will. And um, through it all, I've, I've asked uh, for divine appointments to, to reach out to, to help others. <clears throat> so about a month ago, uh, many of you know I drive a propane truck for Chalmers. And I went to this, uh, turned out to be Dennis's home. And there I met uh, Dennis and uh, Deborah's son, Gregory. No one else was home at the time. I pulled up, first time I was ever there. They lived between, uh, what is it, Mar uh, between, yeah, between Fergus and Orangeville on Road 3 there. And uh, Gregory came up to me, and um, I never met anybody that was so interested in the job that I did. He was asking me all these questions, and, and he even said, what do I got to do to become a propane delivery driver? And I said, run as fast as you can. No, I said... <laughs> So I was, I was, he said he had some experience in, in, anyways, there was something about that encounter I had with Gregory that when I left, I even shared it with other people at my work. I said, you won't believe this guy. I, who is this? I had a great experience with this Gregory. Was it two weeks ago? Three weeks ago now? It's about three weeks ago. Uh, that was a Thursday morning. Well, Wednesday night, we have awesome prayer meetings here, and Faye who was going to go do something else, the Spirit convicted her to come here that night because she shared that. Praise for that, uh, Faye. And Faye gave one of the closing prayers, and in that prayer she prayed that everyone at the prayer meeting have a divine appointment the next day. So the next day comes. I go to 
the same house, and in my mind, I go, oh, I know whose house this is. I didn't know it was Gregory, but it's Gregory's house. I hope he's there. I want to talk to him again. Out comes Dennis. He's got a little dog. I proceed to go to his two propane tanks. He comes over. I said, hi, um, the last time I was here, I, I didn't know it was his son, but he said it was. I had a really good talk with your son. Uh, How is he doing? Dennis said, well, he's not here. Ah, I said, man, that's too bad. I said, uh, where did he go? Um, Dennis, like, doesn't know me from anybody. Doesn't have any clue who I am whatsoever. He says, uh, he's not here anymore. And then it hit me what he was saying. Dennis found his son who took his life in his bedroom. And... Uh, as Pastor was saying, the word comfort, there's something about when you have gone through something and somebody else tells you they've gone through the same thing or, or are going through it, there's just, it's almost like a, a magnet. Um, and, and I just, I, I, I just poured out my heart to Dennis and um, I said, Dennis, I don't know if you're a believer or not, but can I pray for you right now? And he said, sure, I read my Bible. And I prayed over him. And um, his eyes all teared up with, with tears. And so I said, what, what day? When did this happen? He said, January the 9th. What I didn't tell you, on January the 8th, when my son passed away, and it's a very daunting experience for a father to, to put on their tombstone their firstborn son's date, time, and all, all the stuff that goes on the stone. For whatever reason, I put on that stone January 9th. And somebody, a close friend of his, Lena, that works at Post Time, brought it to my attention months after and said, Randy, hope you don't mind me asking, why did you put on January 9th on Zach's tombstone and not January 8th? And ever since then, I believed that there was a purpose for that. And I can tell you as sure as anything right now that when he told me January 9th, I pulled out my cell phone, zoomed in real close, and showed him the exact same day that my son took his life. The words, we couldn't eat, we, we were just dumbfounded. I drove the truck, I left, and I went, wait, I don't even know this guy's name. I, I, I don't know his phone number. And the tickets that I have uh, showed his phone number. I phoned him up right away because I, I invited him to come to our church. I said, we, I, I didn't even know if they attended a church. I didn't know anything about them. Didn't know uh, Deborah, your, uh, Deborah, his wife. I didn't know anything. He's got two other brothers. Here they are. And, and for what you guys seen about the um, prayer when they came, Dennis came up front there a couple weeks ago, how you supported him and... Um, Folks, the comforting so that we can comfort others. It is so true. If we surrender and allow the comforting uh, of God's Holy Spirit to comfort us, that surpass. We, we don't understand sometimes why we go through trials in life, but God knows. And we can be comforted by that. Amen? So thanks for letting me share. And so the role of the comforter not only allows you to walk through darkness, 
and, and have others wonder how, how you're even doing, how are you holding up, but the comforter empowers you to pass that gift on to others in need. Number two, he convicts you. We talked about this a little bit during communion, but it's, it's, it's a weird one, but it's important because we think, again, we think of conviction as a bad word. We think, we use the word convict to describe someone in jail. Conviction is usually the sentence that they've received, but conviction in the sense of the Holy Spirit is actually a gift. Conviction from God leads us to repentance, which ultimately leads us to freedom. Conviction is a gift. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 16, and he says this. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, he says, there is a significant difference between two words that seem somewhat similar. Sometimes we think are similar. And those two words are this. Condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is the, is the work of the enemy in your life. Condemnation will lead you away from God. Condemnation will tell you that you're a mess up. Condemnation will tell you that what you've done is unforgivable. And that there's nothing that you can do to receive forgiveness. But the flip side is conviction. Conviction is a gift from God that leads you towards freedom in him. You see, if, if I mess up and I don't realize I can carry that guilt and that shame, but this conviction reminds, lets me know that there's something better for me. It allows me to ask for forgiveness. It allows me to move towards freedom and ultimately towards God. Look again what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. This is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He gives us conviction so that we can ultimately be set free. When we confront, we're able to honestly confront our sin. David, one of the greatest leaders and key figures in the Bible, was once called a man after God's own heart. Yet David's life isn't all worthy of that title. At one point, David gets caught up in this, this sin scandal. He has an affair with a married woman, and then as a way of trying to cover it up, he has, as the king, he has her husband put on the front lines to be killed in the military. And yet, here's what he says about his sin and how the Holy Spirit's conviction led him to repentance in Psalms. Psalm 32.3 when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. This is this illustration. It's that guilt. It's that shame. It's that, that regret. It's, it feels heavy. It's like you're carrying something. Your hand, that, that conviction is like a heavy, heavy hand. My strength was, zap, was zapped as in this, the heat of summer. I know we don't understand that right now. But one of those days, I was in Chicago one time, they had a heat wave where it was like 120 every day. And I remember it was, I was in college, it was just uh, four of us friends, we wanted to go to uh, a baseball game at Wrigley Field in Chicago, and we decided to just last minute jump in a car and go. So we got in my mom's car, who had no air conditioning, and uh, we hit this, we hit Chicago right in the middle of this heat wave that was like actually killed people, it was so hot. And I just remember, I spent, I remember to this day, I spent $37 that weekend on food and drinks. 
it actually was just drinks, big gulps at 7-Eleven. That's all I drank because I was so just drained and tired. I didn't feel like eating. And uh, it's that, that feeling of when you're, 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 all your energy's gone. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit, that through this gift of conviction, you can deal with your sin. You can face the junk in, in your life head on. You can lift the heaviness that David talks about off you, and ultimately you can walk in freedom. You see, many people have this idea of God, that he's this rule maker. He's just, just kind of lording over you from above, just waiting for you to slip up and, and then come down on you with a heavy hand. But it's actually the opposite. He's not that at all. He actually wants you to live without regret, without shame, without guilt, to live free and breathe easy. And so it's this conviction is a gift. Because if you feel the heaviness of conviction, that's a sign that God is close, that he wants so much more for your life than what you're carrying. Number three, he leads you. This is such a huge gift. For many of us, we're so exhausted by leading in every area of our life. Psychology Today talks about something called decision fatigue. You make so many decisions every day. When you wake up, you're, you're deciding, what am I going to eat? What time am I going to leave? What am I going to wear? At work, you get to work or you get to school, there's like a million more decisions that you've got to make as you're going through the day. If you have kids, multiply that number like four. And when you get home, it just, it just doesn't end there. It goes on and on and on. How freeing would it be if you didn't have to make every decision? How freeing would it be if you had a voice in your life that was the North Star when it came to many of your decisions? The Holy Spirit leads us. John chapter 16 says this. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. See, God wants to speak to you through his Holy Spirit because he wants to be in control of your life. The problem is, I don't like being told what to do. I want control. I want control. And, and over the course of my life, especially as a pastor, I've been in multiple situations where I have been asked to lead. Whether it's staff or whether it's volunteers, I've learned a simple principle. You can't lead somebody who doesn't want to be led. You just can't. And if you will not surrender to God's leadership... You will constantly be in places of compromise, in places of remorse, in places of guilt. But when you do, when you submit to God's leading, it changes everything. It changes your relationships. It changes your worldview. It changes how you parent. It changes how you treat your spouse. It changes how you view your job. It changes basically everything and your place on this planet. But it's in the times where I feel like I know better than God. It's this weird way of me ending up in trouble. The Holy Spirit comforts me. He convicts me. He leads me. Number four, he reminds you. Let's look at a verse that we read a few, a few moments ago. John chapter 14, 26. 
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. See, as a youth pastor, I would teach it this way when it comes to remembrance, the Holy Spirit's work in remembrance. It's like if you study for a test, and, you, and then you then turn to the Holy Spirit before you take the test and say, Holy Spirit, please allow me to remember what I have learned, bring it to my mind, the things that I've studied. He can do that. But if you decide to blow off all your homework, do no study, and go partying all, all weekend, and then ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind answers that you've chose not to learn, it doesn't work that way. But even this is an elementary way of understanding the verse. Because the Holy Spirit reminds us of who we actually are. In the moments where you're insecure about who you are, when you find yourself in a spot where you feel like you need to impress other people, or you need to compromise yourself in order to do so, that's when he reminds you that you're a son of God. You're a daughter of the Most High. Number five. He empowers you. I'm going to just touch on this one because a couple more weeks, in a, in a couple weeks, I'm going to uh, touch on it a little bit further. But he wants to empower you to live a life that you were created to live. Many of us get a glimpse of who God's calling us to be, and then we allow fear to overwhelm us, and we kind of step back from the ledge. God wants to empower you to walk in boldness and a holy confidence. He wants to give you the power to forgive. He wants to give you the power to say no when you need to say no. And the power to ask for forgiveness. When someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a new power, a new boldness. Jesus says it like this in Acts chapter 1. All of his disciples are around. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And there's this place called the upper room. And I want you to go there. And there, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, come back and join me as I close. Now, Jerusalem was the city that they were in. Judea and Samaria were part of the country. And the ends of the earth was everything else. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing you're going to feel is this power to make a difference in your, where you're planted. Maybe it's your city, your town, your village, your neighborhood, your school, your relationships at work. You're going to feel empowered to make a difference where you're planted. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will feel empowered to make a difference in your country. Your Judea and Samaria. Now, what is Samaria? Samaria is the part of the country that nobody wanted to be associated with. That was the wrong side of the tracks. It was the part of the country that people looked down on. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to want to make a difference not just in the people around you that are nice to you. You're going to want to make a difference in the people around you, especially those that are in need. When you're empowered by the Spirit, you will look past your country's borders and you will also start to make a difference, want to make a difference across the world. It changes everything. 
Now, if you were to throw everything you know about the Holy Spirit coming into today and start with a fresh page, and on that page you wrote this, the Holy Spirit comforts me, the Holy Spirit convicts me, the Holy Spirit leads me, the Holy Spirit reminds me, and the Holy Spirit empowers me. I hope you would get to this question and say, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? You know, our, our God is, he's a good father who gives good gifts. And this gift of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit is a gift that every one of us in this room is able to receive. We just have to ask. We just have to ask. 